0: if you'd open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We've been in this study on the Lord's Prayer. We've we kind of been, been talking about prayer for a little bit, and, and uh, um, I believe it's something that's that we see in Scripture. It's paramount to Scripture. It's paramount to our lives. It's very important. Jesus spoke to this, and then going back all the way to Luke uh, 18, we ought to pray, right, unless we lose heart. And so we've come into the the... the and we've asked the question, really, um, what the disciples posed to Jesus. How, how, how do we pray? Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And so we took that from Luke chapter 11, but we went over to Matthew because Matthew expands Jesus' answer to that question, and he gives us kind of a, an introduction to the prayer and tells us how not to approach it, not how to go about it, but uh, not as the Pharisee or the heathen and, and explains the attributes of God. He he hears in secret, so go to your secret place. He knows what you need before you ask. And we learn these wonderful things about who God is, and then we come into the Lord's prayer. And in this manner, this is in Luke chapter, or excuse me, Matthew chapter six, verse nine. In this manner, therefore, pray, right, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the first three thou petitions we've covered, and we've talked last Sunday about give us this day our daily bread. And then we come to verse 12, where he says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so knowing and understanding this, we come to this topic of forgiveness, which everyone I know is excited about, right? It's something that, that is, is involved heavily in the Christian life. So important that Jesus places this, right? The first thou petitions focus on God's name being holy right? Lord, make your name holy, which that invokes the idea of living a holy life. And then he goes on and says, a desire that God's kingdom would come. Yes, I'm praying for my brothers and sisters and myself to, to be the hands and feet of Christ. We want to see the kingdom come to Atwater and Merced. We have a part in that. And then Jesus goes on to the next one. He says, well, you need to also submit to, to the will. God, we desire your will. We know it's perfect in heaven and it's being worked out here And we want to submit to that and trust you in that. And then he goes, Then we call those the thou petitions. Those are the ones focusing on that. And then he, he kind of takes the last three petitions and he, and he works on this idea of daily bread we talked about last week. Um, talking about time and amount. God's bread never ends. And then we come to this idea of forgiveness. So Jesus places this as fifth in the list, but really it's the second we petition, if you will, that focuses on us. It's so important that Jesus places it here, forgiveness. Now, regardless, I say that word, there's probably a lot of things walking through your mind or working through your mind, and maybe you think of illustrations or moments in your life where you're thinking, well, this is uh, a situation here or something to that effect, but I think we all have different views about what forgiveness is. There was a story of a man who had, who had, had a close friend, and they had become estranged over time for, for various reasons, and and he was in the hospital one day, and he was feeling ill, and, and the doctors had said, this may not turn out good for you. So he thought, well, I better make amends with my good friend. So he invited his friend to the hospital. I just, would you come on down? I just I want to make amends. I want to apologize to you. So The gentleman came, and they're in the hospital room, and he says, I want to assure you, I, you know, uh, will you forgive me? And I want to assure you I have forgiven you of everything because in case this, this, this doesn't plan out well, you know, I'm just, I want to make amends. And everything was going fine in the hospital room as the one gentleman's laying in the bed and the other friend is, is sitting along the bed. And the, the friend decides the time is for him to, to, to walk out of the room. And as he, he heads to the door, the other friend laying in the bed says, And just so you know, if this turns out well and I make it through this. This conversation never happened. <laughs> you know, sometimes we look at forgiveness this way. We want to hold on to it. And it's easy. I shared last week about how easy self-righteousness can creep in how pride can, can creep in, and, and maybe you've, you've felt some of these things. The forgiveness is, is one of those things that maybe at times it's, it's felt superficial, whether you've given it or you've been on the benefactor. You've received it and you thought they're not genuine. Maybe there's a selfish motive to it. Maybe there's, a, there's a, an attachment to it where it seems spiritual, right? But yet we feel maybe in our in our. And we've prayed about it, I've, God forgive me, but then there's a moment where it's just, it invades our thinking and our consciousness. We think, God, if, why is it still there? Maybe we say that we forgive somebody, right? A wrong has been done to me, but hey, it's okay, we've made amends, we've apologized, I forgive you. But the next time that person does something, we, we go back and we take inventory, right? The whole list of things, we bring it to bear on everything. We haven't truly forgiven Maybe some of us are, are like the ideas of, you know what, when we, we work towards forgiveness, we, we, we use the saying we bury the hatchet, but we just leave the handle sticking out of the ground and be able to have access to that when I need it. But for us to come to this prayer, and again, we're talking about prayer, and Jesus is saying as you approach the Lord and as you pray this prayer, this is a part of our prayer, and seeking forgiveness. So we have to kind of answer this question, right, am I, am I struggling with forgiveness in my own life? Right? because it's, there's an attachment that Jesus places on this. It's almost a, a conditional kind of component here, and it's, it's something that each and every one of us are going to struggle with, the idea of, of believing that we have been forgiven. Right? Maybe there's times where I'm, I don't know if I'm forgiven. We'll struggle with that, but there's also the idea of, of struggling with forgiving somebody else, and this is uh, paramount. This is part. There's no way around this. This is true to the Christian walk right? Enough that Jesus, of all the things Jesus could say in a prayer, and he's teaching us His disciples, he's teaching us as well that this is when you come and approach our Heavenly Father who's in heaven, and you begin to pray, here's the things that need to be part. So not, it's not a prayer to be verbatim and listed out, but these are concepts that, that Jesus wants you to have in your prayer, and to be honest and sincere in prayer. Well, We have to realize that forgiveness is a part of it. This idea draws us back to, to Luke 18. If you remember the the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? And Jesus saying, "This is your disposition in prayer. Are we approaching our forgiveness in prayer as one who is is a, a Pharisee who's you know so he's, he's so uh, everyone else should be thankful that he's around, right? You're, you guys are lucky I'm here for you, kind of mentality, right? I'm so thankful I stand apart. I'm I'm so thankful I'm not like the rest of these, and they're actually grateful I'm here because I'm so good, right? And sometimes that self righteousness creeps into our prayers, but Jesus." contrast that with the the tax collector who can't even raise his eyes he stands afar off too because he feels guilty and he beats his chest right one of two moments in scripture we see that happening and Jesus is saying he beats his chest because he's broken and he needs forgiveness when he comes to the Lord and in forgiveness and we realize that in prayer right, as we approach the Lord in prayer it is important uh, for us to have an attitude of forgiveness So here is our verse this morning. We're just going to look at verse 12, specifically dealing with forgiveness. And as I read before, I'll read again. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So let me offer a a brief prayer. Father, we thank you once again for this time and ask that as we look at the meaning and application of Of this request, I pray for eyes to be opened and ears to be opened that we would see and understand. and That, uh, Lord, you would instruct us closer in our walk as we grow in our sanctification and our following after you. So I pray your blessing upon that, and I ask that you would allow me to get out of the way, uh, that all our eyes and and our intent and our focus would be upon you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we come to this prayer, and as I, as I mentioned earlier, we have these, these uh, thou petitions, and Jesus moves from these thous of making God's name holy and, and desiring his kingdom to come and, and submitting to the authority of his will. And we prayed, uh, uh, last week we prayed about our daily bread and how that involves others around us, right? As we pray for bread and our needs, we see a, uh, a supply that we have in, in, in Jesus that doesn't run out. But as we approach this, I think it's important by way of introduction, it's important that we understand it, that we call forgiveness and unforgiveness, truly unforgiveness what it is, right? It is it is sin. We have to understand that so we feel the weight of it. Because as we get into this passage and we look at the application, it will begin to shed light and go, yes, this is important. We have to have this understanding. I put this verse in my notes. I'm not sure if I put it in your notes, but 1 John Chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, it says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so as we come and we approach and we take this this application, if you will, this petition and prayer, if we're going to be serious as disciples of Jesus and we're going to take it to heart, well, then we need to understand that if we come and we approach this and we say, well, there's nothing uh, in my life, I've, I've forgiven everybody, I'm good. Well, that's, that's great, but if there's, if there's some sin here or some harboring of things, then we'll have to call it what it is, and we have to square that with God's word because that is good for us. So as we get into this prayer, I'd like to let my first point here is, uh, my first application is God's forgiveness is connected to our forgiveness. If we're going to pray this prayer, we have to understand this. And this may uh, sound a little perplexing, right? But Jesus expands this idea, if you will, about God's forgiveness being connected to ours in verses 14 and 15 of the same chapter where he says of, of, of Luke, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 6. He says, for if, you, uh, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So in this prayer, we see forgive our debtors as we also forgive those who are indebted to us, right? But Jesus expands this understanding with the verses to follow in verses 14 and 15. So this might be, as I said earlier, a difficult concept. It sounds very conditional. It almost sounds like if, if I just go around forgiving, I can conjure up more of God's forgiveness. And it kind of turns into this if-then kind of concept. And we might say, some of you go, that sounds very graceless, Pastor. Isn't God's grace and His forgiveness, right? Isn't it found in forgiveness? Absolutely. It's important to understand as as we get into this, and we use this word connected, God's forgiveness connected to our forgiveness, is that we're not talking about justification. Jesus is not talking about how you come to know Christ. Right? That is truly God's amazing grace and the work of the Spirit that enlightens our eyes that we can believe. And that is completely all of what the Lord has done, and we trust Him and we say thank you. We can lift our voices and sing these songs because of the goodness and grace of God. Right? And Jesus isn't speaking to that moment in your life of salvation. He is speaking to believers. He's addressing them as, would you come to prayer, Right, our Father who is in heaven, so Jesus is dealing with the idea of sancti- those who are operating and working out their salvation, as Paul says in Philippians, working out their sanctification. This is an application for those who already believe. So we shouldn't get hung up on this idea of it being connected because Jesus isn't talking about that, that if I pray in the sense of salvation, then God forgives me. Right? God does that work. He forgives me first, right? And we know him that in our daily walk. He's talking about our daily walk. As you follow after Jesus, as you pick up your cross and you follow after him in discipleship, it's important to understand that Jesus is saying here, this every day is, a, is an idea of, of forgiveness. And to have God's uh, ongoing grace, if you will, right? To experience God's ongoing grace in our lives is determined by, right, and connected to our ability to forgive others. We make that statement again, right? God's ongoing grace is determined by and connected to our ability to to forgive others. That is what Jesus is saying. Now, it doesn't begin with us, right? Our Father forgives us first and empowers us to forgive others. And we'll see that played out throughout this this, uh, lesson this morning. It's very important to understand that. Jesus is speaking to those who are already filled with grace, right? We've been forgiven. We are followers. And we realize that with much grace has been given to us, we are able to give, right, and to forgive others. He says in this sermon, in Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount, you will know them by their fruit, right? We can look to change life. This is, these are those he's speaking to, those who know their Savior. And this passage, so really, here's the here's the key to this, and this is your filling in your outline, is we must remember the debt we have been forgiven. If you're going to operate and follow after the Lord, you have to remember the debt that you have been forgiven. This becomes very, very important. This is the teaching in Matthew chapter 18 of the unmerciful servant. If you remember the parable, where the servant comes before the the, the king, and, and he's he owes a, a huge debt and he can't repay it. And the, the king shows mercy and wipes the debt free. And then the, the, the servant goes out and finds someone who owes him a very small, insignificant debt. But the person is unable, unable to pay it. So he has that person thrown in to jail. And so the king finds this, right? And demands full payment from the, from the ungrateful servant. And this is the idea here. What Jesus is getting at is this. When you have been forgiven much, when you understand the the lengths and depths of what Christ has gone to forgive you, then it becomes uh, an ability, a responsibility, but it becomes very easy to forgive others. So we must remember the debt for which we have been forgiven. So we have this idea of the word debt. Uh, Matthew uses this word, Luke uses a different word, but it contains the idea of an obligation that you owe to God that you can't pay back right? As it kind of goes without saying, there's no way I'm going, to, I'm going to be able to pay this back. I operate in this life. I've fallen short of the glory of God, and, and I need His grace and His forgiveness. Now, in salvation, absolutely, it's completely upon the cross of Jesus, but when we live out this life, all right, and we operate, and, and, and we have a bad day, and we hold on to, to bitterness and, and unforgiveness and all these kind of things, well, then we are in danger, right? We would say, Jesus would say, you, you're, you've lost connection, and that's the point. You've lost fellowship with God. Think for a moment that, that when you're holding on to unforgiveness and you come and pray, think of God not listening to your prayer. That seems kind of radical. Seems kind of harsh, but this is what Matthew's getting at. Matthew just sticks to the one word. It's interesting in this. Here you have Matthew using debts, but Luke goes on and uses sins and debts. In Luke 11, verse 4, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who, has, who is indebted to us. So it's important to point this out as, as we operate in this life, as we're working on our sanctification, it's easy to say, well, you know, I'm here, right? I'm here and, and, and I want to forgive and I, and I want to move forward, but there's, there's times where maybe I just, I've missed it, I've failed. I've owed a debt to God and it encompasses this idea that, that we have obligation to fulfill what the Lord has set in his word and if we're not living that out, that becomes a sin, James picks up on this, and James—I don't know if this is in your notes or not. James four verse seventeen, it says, "Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin." And so Matthew kind of contains this idea that if you're operating, and the idea, and Jesus focuses this debt specifically on forgiveness, but if you're a you're living this life, and and you're holding on to something, and maybe it's just not necessarily a bad thing, but you haven't done the right thing that the Lord has told you to go and do, to make amends with your brother, to go that extra, whatever that might be, James would say, well, if you know the right thing to do and you're not doing it, it is a sin. Luke grabs onto both of these ideas of debts and sins and he pulls them together in his, in his version. And it's interesting to point out that, that, you know, Jesus speaking in Aramaic, he has a word in Aramaic that basically means both those things. But as you trans, as the, the writers, as, as Matthew and And Luke are are recording this in their Gospels. They're not writing in Aramaic, they're writing in Greek. And so there's not one word that means both those things. And it's interesting that Matthew says, look, he's writing to a bunch of Jews and he wants them to understand you owe God a debt. You're not good in all of, of yourself, right? You need Christ. And Luke expands it to mean both. But really this morning, I think we need to encompass that. But there are debts, there are sins, and when we have these things harbored in our heart, we've lost connection with God. That's the point. If we are asking forgiveness and failing to fulfill what God requires of us, and for our failure to do the right thing, we had the right opportunity, then the Lord is, is most likely not listening to our prayer. And that's the seriousness of it. This is why it is connected. We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about our sanctification. So we have to become, how, does that, how do we help ourselves? Well, we have to become aware of this debt. Right? And I'm going to call it a great evil if It keeps us from praying. You see, if we feel that we are not as sinful as the next person, well, it's kind of easy for us not to forgive. However, the To contrast that, if you know God's forgiveness, if you've come to the cross and been broken by his love, it becomes easier to forgive. It's easier to become a person who forgives. So the questions I might have for you this morning is, will you, in a new way, in a fresh way, understand that debt? Understand the amount to which God loves you and he has forgiven you? Will you choose to see the sin that still pervades in your life even though you're a believer? It's there. I see it. Last week I shared this story of self-righteousness that it took me a while to see it for what it is and to confess it. Sometimes those things creep in. Will you be broken before God so that he can forgive you and so that you can forgive others? So we see this connection. Ernest Gordon shared this story in The Miracle on the River Kwai. He told the story of, the, of some Scottish soldiers who had been forced by their Japanese captors into a labor into a labor camp in the jungle to make a jungle railroad. And the camp was, was horrible. They were very abusive to the soldiers, these Japanese um, captors. And one day these men were called forward, and then every day they would have a count. They were using tools and they were using shovels in which to build this railroad, so every day they would count the shovels. Of course, you can't have a prisoner having a shovel, right? I mean, it kind of goes without saying. They're going to dig out of here. So they would count the shovels, and one day one shovel was missing. So the captors lined all of of the prisoners up, and they demanded, who is the guilty party, come forward. And nobody stepped forward. Coming enraged, the, the commander pulled his pistol and said, if, you know, if the guilty party doesn't come forward, I'm going to start killing everyone. And finally, one man stepped forward. To which the, the story goes, the commanding officer put his pistol away and took a shovel, an actual shovel, and, and beat the man to death. And so as they grabbed his corpse and they, they went away and then the count was taken again, they realized that it, all the shovels were there. There was not a miscount. And it dawned on these men that here was an innocent man who did not take the shovel, but he stepped forward. And by sacrificing his life, he saved the others. This became so impactful to these men. They grew to be a, a band of brothers, if you will. It influenced them and affected their, their decision-making and their work and their encouragement of one another to the point that when the allies came and liberated the camp, they stood in front of their captors. And I'm sure no one would, would find them guilty for striking vengeance, but the men would not do that. He goes on and he says, the quote was, no more hatred, no more killing. Now what is needed is forgiveness. Sacrificial love has transformi- transforming power. And it's interesting, right? As believers, is not this happened to us? The one who was not guilty took forward. He carried a cross. He took it to Golgotha. He dies a horrific death. Suffocation, asphyxiation. This he does on our behalf. This is who Jesus is. And so the question is, do you know that kind of love? Because this love becomes the most powerful motivator and Jesus connects it. This kind of, a, of, of forgiveness, when it's connected to that, how can I hold on to this unforgiveness in my life? Because the cross becomes so powerful. This is what Jesus is saying. So we see that forgiveness is, our forgiveness is connected to God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness, excuse me, is connected to our forgiveness and our sanctification. So this leads me to my next point. We talk about the application of this. Forgiveness must be offered even when it's not requested. I'm sure everyone likes that one as well. You know, it's common in, in Really, I think throughout history, I think maybe you've experienced this as well, that we have this assumption that uh, the person who violates our rights, right, that person must come to us and ask for forgiveness, right? We kind of have that feeling, well, if, if you've wronged me, well, you, it's your responsibility to come to me and, and make this right, but we don't see this in the prayer at all. You know, and it's amazing because Jesus doesn't stop at just forgiveness. He, you know, what if the forgiveness is is a huge matter. What if it's something that's very tragic on a, on a grandiose scale? Is that, is that something that's possible? Can we forgive this way? Maybe you've heard the saying, right, never, never forget, never forgive. And Jesus, in the, in the context of this, is saying well, there's no qualifying things here, right? He's saying forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There's no Uh, acquisition of someone coming and there's no qualifying that somebody has to come and and seek your forgiveness in order for you to forgive. Jesus is automatic saying it is upon you as a follower of Jesus. Part of your following after him is to be a person who is forgiving. Jesus asked the person who has been wrong to forgive the one responsible for the wrongdoing even when there is no confession of guilt. Now that seems maybe for some of us impossible So I believe a key to this is we must rely on the Holy Spirit to enable us to forgive. Remember, Jesus is speaking to the followers of Christ, right? Those who know him, he's speaking to us this morning. We are sealed with the the Spirit until the day of redemption. And so we need to rely upon the Spirit, allow the Spirit to help us to forgive And really, if you look at this this word, it literally means to release or to let go of. And and simply put, forgiveness is letting go of my right to retaliate, my right to hurt you. That's what you're, you're letting go of. You see, when you don't forgive someone, you are saying, what that person did to me was so wrong. They have hurt me deeply, and they deserve to pay for their offense. Now, we wouldn't say that. In reality, if we come and we're going to be honest in our prayers, we come before the Lord and say, this is my request, God, to forgive, forgive me. If I desire that from the Lord, he is asking that you and I would do the same, regardless of whether that person who's wronged me came to me. I have an obligation. So we're saying if we come and we are able to forgive, we're saying I'm not forgiving because this person deserves it, or whether they've asked or not, I'm forgiving because I understand how much the Lord has forgiven me. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, Paul says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and the evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Here we see this verb, right? It is a generous action on behalf of one to the other. Luke and the Sermon on the Plain in Luke six, thirty seven Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive you will be forgiven. That's good news, right? Does the Bible, the biblical idea, if you will, of forgiveness, does it work like a charm? Maybe we could ask the question this way. Once you forgive, does does that hurt? Or that wrongdoing, does it just evaporate into a puff of smoke? No, it doesn't. We've all lived life long enough many times i'm sure all of us have been forgiven and we've sought forgiveness but maybe we've been something has has been very hurtful to us we've walked through a situation that is painful and maybe those thoughts even though we've prayed and we want to re- release it to the lord but we feel those things continue to creep in and i believe when that occurs whether it's hourly daily weekly monthly whatever that might be we need to have a surrender Right? A yielding of that to the Lord continually. There might be a new normal. See that in, in Psalms fifty-one. So we read earlier our scripture reading. Where David, if you understand the story, David has committed adultery with Bathsheba as a child. Right, and the child dies. This is a new normal for David. Those things don't go away, even though he's broken, of a broken spirit and a contrite spirit. He will not despise. Out of that brokenness, David writes that psalm. The situation has not it's a new normal for him, but he is restored. So forgiving doesn't mean that we forget. It might be a new normal for you. but It means that we let go of our desire to retaliate. Jesus, in chapter 544, Sermon on the Mount, Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, right? For this to happen, clearly it takes the Holy Spirit to help us. And for some of you this morning, you might be thinking, well, you don't understand, Pastor. This hurt is great. This hurt is deep. It's compounded by other things. It's just a big thing, and I can't get past it. How am I supposed to allow this to go? How am I supposed to just say, it's over, even though this person won't come to me, even though this person won't ask for forgiveness? Maybe this person doesn't feel they've done anything wrong. How do do we navigate that? Because here I am. I'm trying to work out my, my sanctification. How do I go about this? Well, again, it's as simple as this prayer. This is what Jesus is saying. We come and we pray. And in honesty and sincerity, we say, Lord, here is the pain and the hurt, and I'm laying it down. And the point is not to pick it up again. We lay it down. We continue to lay it down. And the most powerful illustration for this we find in Scripture is the cross. We realize that neither Pallet nor the high priest nor the centurion None of them offered an apology to Jesus. Think about that for a moment. None of them apologized to Jesus. But yet we see him praying for divine forgiveness for them in the midst of the brutality, the context of them killing him, sending him to his death. We see this voice from the cross. Echoes through all history. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. On the cross, right, we see in Jesus a total, the total innocence of wrongdoing and, and yet he is, he is in essence acting out this petition for us as we forgive our debtors whether they come to me or not. This is not a cry of the weak at all. It is a, an awesome strong voice, I believe. As we come, we let these things go. We realize we're not dictated by them. We're not owned by them. But there is an obligation that regardless if someone comes and seeks forgiveness, we'll definitely be responsible. But if they don't, Jesus is saying, you're still responsible for forgiveness. And that may seem a little difficult, but as we get to this last point, hopefully this will shed it's a little bit more light on it for you. And the last application that I want to point out is that forgiveness is a reoccurring need. We have to remember that this is in the context of our daily bread, right? Daily. Jesus says we come and we trust the Lord will make provision. We see this in the same context as the word daily. Request for forgiveness is side by side with our petition for our needs. Lord, make uh, uh, need for me. Supply my needs and take care of these things. But the Lord also empower me and help me to surrender and to heal and to forgive. And why is this so important? Uh, I've hinted at it. It's because unforgiveness will begin to own us, and what I mean by that is this: people, are, in their hurt and in their wound, they speak out of that. Right? When it's when you see red, and it's all you see because you've been hurt or wounded, and you're and you're struggling through that. Well, then you begin to look at everything else through those eyes, through that shade of red. And out of a hurt and a broken heart, we speak, and our words can be heartless, and our response can be uh, harsh. Right? And so we look at this wound that we're not honestly dealing with, and it becomes something that, that dictates our response to other people. It dictates our emotions and how we treat other people. And we forget to realize that this request is not about you know, a benefit to the others. And it's not about them, us forgiving them, and it's about us standing before the king. And the Lord's desire for you and for me is not to be owned by this. That I would walk in grace. I'd walk in mercy. And we could say like David, even though I've gone through this brokenness, Father, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I'm not owned by that. I'm owned by the King. I've been created for something so much better. And so the key to this is we must recognize the personal benefit of forgiveness. And if we don't, can there be bitterness? Can there things that can grow? Absolutely. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Unforgiveness can own us. It can change the way we treat. Other people, family, friends it can affect the way I worship. It can make me, at some points, to allow to go unchecked, point my finger at God and say, How dare you do this to me? Brokenness, this is what it does. I heard a pastor one time talking about this topic of forgiveness, and he challenged his congregation. Here's what I want you to do I want you to take a, a potato. And for every offense or person that offends you, I want you to write that name or that offense and, and, and on a potato and get multiple potatoes. If you've got a bunch of them, just get a bunch of potatoes. Sounds kind of odd, right? Huh. He goes on to say, I want you to carry these potatoes everywhere you go. That's part of it. Hold on to them. No, that's a sack of potatoes. Take that sack of potatoes. Go to the store, take sack of potatoes. Go to bed at night, You know, have your sack of potatoes. Get up in the morning, grab that sack of potatoes. Right. Well, over time, I don't know if you've ever made mashed potatoes. on if you've had that, <laughs> that bag of, mass, of, of potatoes, in the, and you get them out, and you're thinking, what happened here? Was this a science experiment that went wrong, right? And they all kind of, maybe that's just me. I mean, maybe I shouldn't share this, but <laughs> I've had this moment where I'm going, I'm going to make some mashed That sounds really good. You have a sack of potatoes, and you pull some out, and you're like, I think they're morphing into something else, right? <laughs> they start growing sprouts, and that was his point. If you were to do that, think of it, right? What does unforgiveness do? It just doesn't sit there, it's not just one little thing. No, it takes root and it grows and it becomes ugly and these potatoes get, get bad and you can't use them. Unless you have boys and you just can't clean them off and they won't know the difference, right? <laughs> I think that's an important visual. Sometimes we think of it this way. It's just one thing. No, it's not just one little thing that I'm, I'm holding on to. It takes root. Next thing you know, you have a hard time going to church. Next thing you know, you're telling others out in the community, you know what they did to me? I've heard it. And it just takes an honesty. Isn't it amazing at this prayer that Jesus is simply in, in complete honesty. He's just saying, Lord, meet my need. Allow me to forgive. I want to be owned by you. Doesn't, doesn't mean the situation is easy. Don't hear me say it, it's easy. Some of us are walking through difficult things. I know you. I know the pain. I'm praying for you. But don't allow the Don't allow this to own you. Don't allow it to dictate how you're going to treat others, how you're going to come and worship. Trust that God is merciful. Trust that he loves you. He has a plan. He has a purpose. Even when we don't see it, even when I can't add it all up and it makes sense, no, I trust him. He's a gracious, benevolent God. And we realize that our forgiveness is not the gift to the other person. The gift is yours. Jesus is empowering you and saying this is a part of your discipleship that you would be owned by the king not by some potato right that looks ugly takes root and grows eyes and turns into something else so we have this question Peter asked Jesus right Matthew 18 21 through 22 then Peter came to him and said Lord how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him right in line with his prayer, right? Listen to Jesus say. Peter says up to seven times. Jesus says to him, no, I did not say to you up to seven times. It's 70 times seven. Right? Always. Because it'll own you. It'll dictate to you. Your unforgiveness will, will hamper the unity in a church. It'll hamper the testimony of Christ. It'll be the one thing we talk about over the lunch table. You know what those Christians did it does that self-righteousness creeps in there oh pride i can't believe they did this to me and jesus says the most important thing right i'll take care of your daily needs but it's important you lay this down don't be defined by this the lord defines you by something so much greater and the point is unless us right god's people are able to forgive one another and seek God's forgiveness, they're not able to live together. They're just not going to make it. It takes all of us doing our part. The healing that comes from forgiveness makes it possible for the faithful to continue their pilgrimage as a community. So important. It's a story of this little boy and his sister had went to his grandmother's house and for the summer and they were They were enjoying their time there, and the little boy was learning how to shoot his his slingshot, and he was down by the the lake, and he's shooting these rocks, and he realizes he's not that good. He just can't hit anything with this thing. He's walking back to the house. They live out in the country, and he sees Grandma's duck, right? He thought, well, I'll take a shot at it. I haven't hit anything else. Rears back his slingshot, lets that rock go, and sure enough, right, kills the duck perplexed he runs up to the duck and looks at it like oh my goodness and the thoughts run through his eyes how do i hide this and just as he has that thought he looks out the corner of his eye and he sees his sister who has observed the whole situation so he's guilty right he's caught so evening comes and, and they're having dinner and the dinner's over and grandma asks the boy's brother to help her with the dishes which she says, oh, I'm sorry. My brother was just telling me how he would like to help you tonight with the dishes. Making eye contact across the table, right? Okay, right? He goes and does the dishes. (coughs) The next day, Grandma asked her granddaughter, would you help me make breakfast? And she goes, oh my goodness, we were just talking about this. My brother actually was just saying how he'd like to help you with the breakfast this morning. Finally, he reluctantly does this, and this goes on for a few days. And finally, the son, he can't take it, the brother, right? So he goes, and kind of a spirit of cretesis broke, and he goes to Grandma. Grandma, I, you know, I've got this slingshot, and I'm not good at it, but unfortunately, the one good shot I did this whole weekend was to kill your duck, and I'm sorry, I did, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? And Grandma responds and says, of course I forgive you. And I want you to know, she tells him, I watched the whole scene unfold as well. And I was wondering just how long you're going to let your sister make you a slave. Isn't it like that? Just how long are you going to allow that unforgiveness to make you a slave? It's very important for us, and I'm not saying or making light of the difficulties of life. But I know a great God. I know He's forgiven us. He's forgiven me much. It's grace. It's amazing. And He loves us. So Jesus attaches God's forgiveness. He connects it to ours. If you want to have fellowship with the Lord each and every day, then be honest. Be broken before Him. And it may be a prayer we offer daily, right? It's reoccurring. We realize the benefit that comes from it. It's not forgiveness to the other person is benefited. That may be part of it. But for us personally, it's good. I let these things down. And I have to realize that even though the the person who has wronged me, they may not come to me. But it is my responsibility to pray this prayer honestly or forgive them. I let the joy of the salvation of knowing my King be what resonates. And when that difficulty happens again, we pray is amazing? Jesus' teaching is in right the context of prayer. How do we how do we deal with it? Well, we